like that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh, my goodness. We have done it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to keep saying this for a while now because I feel like it's a big deal. It might not be a big deal to everybody out there, but, man, (laughs) when you're on a weird stretch where you're not recording for a month and then you successfully record five episodes on the bounce, back-to-back Monday episodes, back-to-back Friday episodes, and if everything goes swimmingly this week, back-to-back Wednesday episodes. This is all, it's all coming together. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I I shouldn't say that. Uh, We're back in the, the sense that we're good for right now. I can't promise this sustained success over a long period of time because, you know, we went through a weird stretch earlier that I did not foresee before. Uh, you know what, now we're just sitting here and hoping that everything works out well. Now, I will say this, as things stand right now, I don't think, now I could be wrong, I don't think we will have an episode on Friday. I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure, sure about that or 100% certain about that, but from what it looks like as I sit here right now at 6.20 on April 10th, on this beautiful Sunday, April 10th, I don't know if we'll have one. So don't get your hopes up for a Friday show if you're really hoping for one. But what you can get your hopes up for, at least I hope you can get your hopes up for this. I don't know if how realistic this is, but Friday, or Thursday technically, is two weeks away from the 2022 NFL Draft. The greatest day outside of actual playing games in American sports. The NFL Draft is one of the most watched television events in the United States, in the world, like last year. Let's look at the numbers viewing-wise for the 2021 NFL Draft viewership rankings. Viewership rankings. 12.6 million viewers in 2021. Ranked to the second highest day one, surpassing 2014, 12.4 million, only behind 2020 with 15.5. In 2020, obviously, there was no one at the draft. That was the draft that we had in Roger Goodell's basement. So no one was there. So we didn't have anybody there. But man, 12.6 million people watched the NFL draft. The NFL draft is reality television at its finest. There's going to be someone that should be drafted a lot sooner than what they should be, or so, uh, drafted a lot sooner than when they're actually drafted, and it will make for excellent television. There's usually, I guess I shouldn't speak for all drafts, but there's usually one or two players that fall a little more than what they were expected. Like Laramie Tunsil with the whole gas mask situation with Jack Conklin going before him. No one really expected that going before the draft. The conversations before the draft were Laramie Tunsil or Ronnie Stanley. And Laramie Tunsil ended up going like 13th to the Dolphins. Jack Conklin went 8th to the Tennessee Titans. Aaron Rodgers falling all the way to 24. Like no one expected that to happen. It was him and Alex Smith were the number one overall, number one overall pick. And then it was boom, done. He's going all the way down to the 20s range with the Packers. Or Ben Roethlisberger falling to 13. He was expected to go to the Giants. If Eli Manning was fine and content and going to the San Diego Chargers, Ben Roethlisberger would have been a New York Giant. Philip Philip Rivers would have been a Pittsburgh Steeler. Send Philip Rivers to the Three Rivers Stadium. That would have been perfect. But alas, Eli Manning threw a hissy fit, didn't want to play for the Chargers. So the Giants, in retaliation, knew that the Chargers really liked Phillip Rivers because they coached him at the Senior Bowl and said, you know what, we're going to draft Phillip Rivers and hope that the Chargers propose a trade. It was in A.J. Smith's corner, the Chargers GM. So if the, they could have just sat there and made Eli Manning play for the Chargers. I mean, Jim Kelly, 
the greatest Buffalo Bills quarterback of all time currently, because again, I was talking to my dad about this a little bit ago. I think it's inevitable at this point that Josh Allen t- overtakes Jim Kelly as the Bills' number one, as the greatest quarterback of all time in Buffalo history. He's already gotten back-to-back 4,000-yard passing season, the only Bills quarterback to do that in throughout franchise history, and how amazing and great the K-Gun offense was in the 90s, how revolutionary it was. Not even Jim did that. So Josh Allen, Josh Allen is on his way to becoming the next great Bills quarterback, but even Jim Kelly, like Eli Manning, didn't want to play in Buffalo. Jim Kelly made his intentions clear that he did not want to play in Buffalo, and the Bills still drafted him at 15th overall, I believe. And, like, the USFL was a thing. The USFL, I guess, kicked off a couple days ago, which I completely forgot about, and I'm not going to talk about it here because I really do not care. But Jim Kelly went down to the USFL and played for the Houston Gamblers. And if the USFL didn't fold, Jim Kelly might have never played a single down for the Buffalo Bills. As he said, he might have just stayed his entire career down in Houston. But because the Bills still own his draft rights, he went off to Buffalo and became one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Went to four straight Super Bowls. Lost them, but still went to four straight Super Bowls. Steve Young didn't want to play for the Buccaneers. Went to play for the LA Express, I think was their name in the USFL. And then once that was over, had to go back to Tampa because they still owned his draft rights. Like players not wanting to play for a certain location has worked in the past. Like John Elway, he did not want to play for the Baltimore Colts. He said he was going to go play baseball. If the Colts drafted, Colts drafted him and they eventually traded him with the Denver Broncos. Ernie Acorsi, who was the GM of the Colts at that time, wanted John Elway. John Elway didn't want the Colts. Ernie Acorsi was the same GM, as the, was the GM of the Giants when they eventually got Eli Manning. So he did not want to have the similar thing happen with John Elway that he was about to have happen in New York. If he had a chance to get the guy he wanted, he was not going to spare any expense and try to get Eli Manning to New Jersey, to East Rutherford, New Jersey, to play for the Giants. And it worked out for all three of the quarterbacks that were drafted in that year's draft class. Because again, the fourth one, you know, had J.P. Lossman, we love him, but man, eh, he's on that own, he's on his own stratosphere in regards to the top quarterbacks of the 2004 draft class. I put J.P. Lossman on his own realm. I, I can't really put him next to Phillip and Ben and, uh, and Eli Manning. I don't think it's fair to J.P. to put him on that level, or it's fair to the other guys to put him on J.P.'s level, because J.P. was just that elite. But for the top three guys that we're talking about, Manning, Rivers, and Roethlisberger, it all worked out for him. Varying success. Rivers, if we're talking about who was the best quarterback out of those three, I would say Phillip Rivers is the best quarterback out of those three. But accolades are important. Ben Roethlisberger won two Super Bowls. Philip or Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. Philip Rivers never even went to a Super Bowl. Now the Chargers were a very inconsistent team, and there were a team where it was basically like, this team has all the potential in the world. Can they reach that next step? They struggled with coaches: Mike McCoy, Norv Turner. They fired their best coach and Marty Schottenheimer. We let him fourteen and two. Had an MVP running back with Danian Tomlinson, and then they brought in Norv Turner. So that was kind of a weird situation with the Chargers, but the defense was always an issue for the Chargers. Their O-line was always an issue for the Chargers. They had the weapons. I mean, you had a few a first ballot Hall of Fame running back, first ballot Hall of Fame tight end in Antonio Gates. Vincent Jackson, rest in peace, Vincent Jackson. Malcolm Floyd was a very talented number two wide receiver. They had pieces on defense, like Quentin Jammer was a really good corner, Eric Weddle. Like, they had some good pieces, but they could never just get it all together to where it fit perfectly. Like the Giants, they had some elite defenses. The Chargers never had a player on defense over the caliber when Phillip Rivers was playing. So I know Junior Seau 
you can have arguments back and forth about who is a greater player between Junior Seau and Michael Strahan. That's all I'm concerned. I don't care. But Chargers, during Philip Rivers' time, never had that. They had Luis Castillo and Jacques Césaire. Like, you didn't have these types of guys. Ben Roethlisberger had the best coach, arguably. Would you put Mike Tomlin and Bill Cowher over Tom Coughlin? Tom Coughlin won two Super Bowls. Ben Roethlisberger won one Super Bowl with Cowher, one Super Bowl with Tomlin. So you can make an argument about that, but you could say it's regards to completeness of teams, the Giants and Steelers were far superior and a lot more stable organizations than the Chargers. Like, that's nitpicky, I guess, but if I was choosing the best just solely based off what I watched, who I thought the best quarterback from that draft class was, I said Phillip Rivers. If you're being technical, who had the lowest points? Eli Manning had the lowest points at all of them. On the field, on the field. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger had them off the field. But on the field, Eli Manning had these ups and downs. But in the playoffs, Eli Manning's one of the greatest playoff quarterbacks of all time. He's one of five players to have both two, two Super Bowl MVPs. One of five. It's not something that happens very often, obviously. In the 50, however many Super Bowls there have been, there have been five Super Bowl, back two times Super Bowl MVPs. Eli's one of them. So yeah, that's what I have to say about that. But it's... It, the draft's weird. Kayvon Thibodeau this year is talked about one player that's possibly dropping down the draft boards because of his quote-unquote work ethic issues or his character concerns. Like, there's players like Reuben Foster with the 49ers. Reuben Foster, talent-wise, was probably a top-10 pick. And he fell all the way to, I think, 30, and now he's out of the NFL, and rightfully so. But we're just talking about on-the-field things. Reuben Foster was one of the most talented players in the draft. Robert Kimdichi from Ole Miss, remember him? He was another uber-talented player that fell in the draft. Fell all the way to, I think, 28 or 29 to the Cardinals and didn't do anything in the NFL. So would I put Thibodeau on that level? No. I think Thibodeau is more talented than those two. I would put him on the talent level with Kimdichi. But there's a lot less lapses in Thibodeau's game than there were in Robert Kimdichi's. I like Thibodeau. But Thibodeau's that one player right now that feels like he might slide. I think another player that you could talk about in that conversation is Kyle Hamilton, who's in that conversation of being a top two, if not the best overall player in the 2022 NFL draft. If you just watch, like, blinders off to the, like, blinders on. Do not focus on what happened during the offseason workouts in the combine and at the pro day. Do not worry about that kind of stuff. Look at what Kyle Hamilton was at Notre Dame and you will see an elite, not safety, elite football player. And we've brought up Kyle Hamilton a hundred, if not thousands times on the show in regards to a player that can play literally every single position. You talk about in baseball, being a utility infielder, a utility player or something like that. That's what Kyle Hamilton was to the Notre Dame defense. 6'4", 220 pounds. 6'4", <coughs> 220. He's not a small dude by any stretch of the imagination. And there was a play against Florida State where he covered about 60 yards to intercept a pass against Florida. Like it was One of the greatest interceptions you'll ever see in college football. And I'm not just saying that because it's recent. That interception was awesome. And there's obviously you no know, B.J. Lowry from Iowa having the one interception against Iowa State. But like in regards to ground covered and an insane amount of speed, that's what Kyle Hamilton was. And we brought this up before with Kyle Hamilton where there's a difference... It doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense because a lot of people out there would go like speed, speed, or fast is fast. No. 
40-yard dash times and 40-yard speed is a lot different than football speed. And I've explained this thousands of times in the show, but I think it's important to note now because we're getting so close to the NFL draft and that Kyle Hamilton looks to be that player that could be one of the fallers in the draft. Like Kyle Hamilton ran a reported five, a 4.7 to 4.7940, which is not fast, really. I mean, it's fast, but when you're talking about elite-level prospects, people are looking at that and going, that's really slow. When you have a player that everybody's looking at and go, you are number two or number one player in the draft, and you run that, there's some people out there that actually put a lot of, and I mean a lot of weight in the 40-yard dash times. We brought this up a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago. 40-yard dash is impressive to a certain extent. And it comes from that, that um, what do you want to call it, that instinct. I Like when you're a kid, you go on the, re- and you're on recess, you go out there and you want to be the fastest kid in elementary school. If you're the fastest kid in elementary school, everybody's like, ooh, that dude is super. You're instantly like that, the most popular kid in school, and you've got all the girls you want. If you are the fastest kid in elementary school, what does that actually relate to anything that you're doing at that moment? Nothing. What does 40-yard dash time relate to actually playing football? How many times is there a spot where you are running in a straight line of 40 yards with no pads on? When is that a thing that happens on a football field? Because the 40-yard dash, as opposed to running a, a sprint in elementary school against your friends... 40-yard dash is 90 to 95% technique. It's not just about who's fast. Who has the best technique? And that's why when you go through these offseason workouts, if you played football before past high school, I mean, there's some high schools that are probably taught people how to run 40 yards. If you ran track, you are very... If you ran track, you are a shoe-in to have a fast 40 time. You look at Calvin Austin from Memphis. Track He ran track at Memphis. He's going to have a fast 40 time. As Even though he's already a fast football player... Looks even faster at the 40 yard dash time. If you don't have good technique, your 40 is not going to be very good. Because what they tell you is look at the ground for about uh, five to six seconds and then start standing up gradually. But some people will just stand straight up and then your wind's catching you. You're going, you're going to go slow. And Kyle Hamilton's 40, it wasn't necessarily that part. Kyle Hamilton was all over the freaking place. Like he was weaving in and out of the 40 yard dash time pretty much at the combine. Go and watch. The combine video of Kyle Hamilton at the 40-yard dash. It should pop up on Twitter. It, it would pop up on uh, Twitter or YouTube. It has to pop up somewhere. Like, the technique in regards to his 40-yard dash time is not great. And that was at his, the combine where I think he ran like a, something of a, a sub-4-6 or something like that. I haven't seen any videos from his pro day. And those were the reported slow times. But I'm not going to sit here and judge Kyle Hamilton off his 40-yard dash time. I think Kyle Hamilton should be picked with a top five pick, regardless of if you don't think safeties are worthy of being top five picks. Because again, the last safety that was picked in the top five in an NFL draft was Sean Taylor in 04, which was that Manning, Roethlisberger, Rivers, Lossman draft. So like, it doesn't happen often. Then you've seen like a few like Jamal Adams picked six, Minka Fitzpatrick 11, Derwin James 17. Like you have these safeties in the past two drafts, both safeties, Javon, Javon Holland from Oregon, and Xavier McKinney from Alabama were taken 36th overall. The past two drafts, no safety's been taken in the first round. I don't know what the last safety was in 2019. Because I'm trying to go off memory here. <laughs> I'm staring at my audio recording right now. Like, safeties don't get drafted that. It's the same thing with centers. And Tyra Lindebaum, 
again, is another player that will go probably a lot later than what a lot of people, and mainly, and I mean mainly Iowa fans, will be very upset about. If you're just talking about natural ability from the center position, Tyler Lindebaum, just from a scouting process, if you just look at the player and what he does on the field in regards to what he looks like and what he does in testing, Tyler Lindebaum, on film, is one of the greatest center prospects of all time. And you're talking about, there's some great, so like Garrett Bradbury was a really good talent coming out of NC State. And you know what shot Garrett Bradbury up into the first round or high first round conversation where he got picked for 18th? He ran a 4-8-something 40. How often does a center need to run 40 yards in a straight line? And that's what got him moved up the draft board. You can talk to me about athleticism, but the athleticism, is it's technique. You don't need great technique to be a great athlete. It helps, sure. But you don't need it. When, you need, when you're running a 40-yard dash, you need to have technique. You need to have it. And Tyler Lindebaum, when you're watching him play, you see a dominant center that is pushing people back, that is dominant in the run game, equally as dominant in the pass game, maybe a little less dominant in the pass game, but still dominant nonetheless. Should be in a conversation of a top 15 pick. The highest ever center drafted in the NFL. Apart from, you know, he brought this up before, Bruce Matthews. Hall of Famer Bruce Matthews played for the Oilers and the Titans for a little bit. But, I mean, sure, you can count him as a center. We've done this just for experimental purposes. But Bruce Matthews played every single offensive line position. So you could classify him as any lineman you want, and you could go, yeah, that's the highest of that position, which he's not the highest tackle ever taken because, you know, Orlando Pace was taken first over. Eric Fisher, you know, tackles that are in the same breath as Eric Fisher and Orlando Pace, one of the greatest tackles of all time in Orlando Pace. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Orlando Pace is the, one of the greatest left tackles of all time, if not the greatest left tackle of all time. Jonathan Ogden, he was, he was taken fifth, though. I don't think he was taken first from Baltimore. But, um... Uh, yeah, Linderbaum, the thing that's hurting Linderbaum right now is his size. And it's not just like weight. Now, there are some concerns about him being sub 300, especially with the size of what NFL D linemen are getting now, <coughs> where you're looking at <coughs> Jordan Davis is 340 pounds. He's a freaking monster. Jordan Davis is going to go early in the draft. And we're talking about top 17 pick. I don't think he falls past the Chargers at 17. But Linderbaum at 290, 295. And another concern is the short arms, which I don't think is that big of a concern because you look at, like, Joe Thomas, one of the greatest tackles of the 2010s. He didn't have the longest arms. Joe Staley had really short arms, I guess. They're not short, but short-ish arms. But I understand from the aspect of you're trying to keep defensive linemen off of you. you got to extend. You can't have them brush up against you, push you back or whatever. So if you have short arms, they're more prone to get up underneath your pads and push you back, which as an offensive lineman your game is leverage. If you're losing the leverage game, you're not going to keep your job for very long. <laughs> so a player like Lindebaum, <clears throat> who people have concerns of size, weight-wise, and arm length, he could fall a little bit. So I know there's probably some Iowa fans that have looked at my last few mock drafts where I had him going 26 to Tennessee and then the last one 31st to Cincinnati. That's just the reality right now. Mel Kuyper's had him going 14th, and I think there's a possibility that he goes 14th overall because the Ravens don't have a center. Bradley Bozeman left in free agency, or is still a free agent. I don't know if he signed anywhere, but I don't think that will happen. I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, because I want to see everybody from the state of Iowa do well at the next level and get drafted high and get their bread and stuff like that, but I don't know if it will happen. 
I'm cheering for it. I'm rooting for it. I think his talent is up there with the best of them. But I'm not, when I do mock drafts, I don't know if some people realize this or not when people release mock drafts. I guess I shouldn't say for everybody. For myself, it's not always what I think or what I uh, what I want to happen. Sure, I'll make some exceptions like the last mock draft. Do I think Malik Willis will fall all the way to 20? No, but I think he'll go to Pittsburgh. So I made him fall to seven to fall all the way to 20. But 99% of the time, it's what I think's going to happen. Like, sure, I want Lindebaum to go all the way to Baltimore because Baltimore had success with an Iowa lineman before they had Marshall Yonda for however many years, dominate at the guard position, and then they go get another Iowan. Like, that's what I want. That's an ideal scenario. I have no issues with the Ravens. I love Lamar Jackson. I love what they're doing. I love John Harbaugh. Like, I, I want to see the Ravens do well unless they're playing the Bills. <coughs> Got to take a drink of water real quick. But I think you'll rather see the Ravens move for someone like Jordan Davis or Jermaine Johnson or maybe. It's a big maybe. I don't think it will happen because they signed Morgan Moses this offseason from the Jets or the the Commanders. I can't remember which one he signed from. But uh, Trevor Penning is another one. He just feels like a Baltimore Ravens player. But Jordan Davis and Jermaine Johnson are the two players I'm leaning towards. I feel like they're going to go defense. I feel like they're going to go defense. And they could go in the pat- the secondary as well because their secondary was beat up to shit last year. And they gave up, I think, the most yards in the NFL last year. If not, they were right around that. They got torched. Like, when I say torched, I mean that in every single sense of the word. They got brutalized by the Cincinnati Bengals. Brutalized by Jamar Chase. So they could definitely use some help in the secondary, but this draft does have, you can get a good corner in the second round. If needed. If healthy, Marlon Humphrey is one of the best corners in the NFL. Marcus Peters is a very good corner in his own right as well. Like, they have options. They just need to stay healthy. And who's another player that I could see that might fall a little bit further than what their talent or what their draft ranking is? Some of the wide receivers, but I just think that's some of the, just the credit to some of the defensive players in this draft. Um, quarterbacks, I think everybody's under the influence right now that quarterbacks, wherever they go, <coughs> they'll be seen somewhat as a reach because that's the quarterback position. The quarterback position, we've talked about this before, is the most important position in sports. It's not a position that you can neglect for years. If you don't have a quarterback, especially in today's NFL where the quarterback position has never been in a better spot, you're not going to win anything. That Bills-Chiefs game, we've joked about this before, but I'm 100% serious about this. That Bills-Chiefs game changed the landscape of the NFL in regards to viewing of quarterbacks for the rest of the time. The AFC watched that game and looked at their rosters and said, can my quarterback beat theirs? And most people, like the Broncos, the Browns, made moves for quarterbacks. The Colts made moves for quarterbacks that could beat them. So when you look at this draft, is there a quarterback in this draft? Maybe not right away, but you think you could develop and build into a guy that could beat the likes of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes? and Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert, and Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson, and a healthy Lamar Jackson. Can you beat these guys? That's the million-dollar question right now. And you look at a team like the Steelers, who have Trubisky, and I love Trubisky. I will not say a bad word about Trubisky. He's not beating these guys. 
So you have a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers that will look at their quarterback situation and go, we can't <coughs> compete in our division. Your division is Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and Deshaun frickin' Watson. You are not competing in this division with Trubisky. And some may argue you're not competing with any of these quarterbacks with any of these quarterbacks in the draft. But the Steelers, unfortunately, they're going to have to play the long game. It's not going to be fun. Steelers will probably come in last place in this division, depending on what the situation unfolds with Deshaun Watson, this inevitable suspension. But like, man, they're going to play the long game. Whatever quarterback they draft this year is probably not going to see a lot of game time. Probably. I mean, there's, there's odd situations for everyone, but probably not seeing a lot of game time. You look at the AFC West, Derek Carr is the worst quarterback in that division. And Derek Carr is a good quarterback. Like Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Justin Herbert are all in one division. If your quarterback's not good enough, you're going to make the trade to get a quarterback that you think is good enough. And that's what the Broncos did. That's what the Browns did. What the Colts did. Not saying Matt Ryan's like at this point in his career a world beater or anything, but he's a more steady presence back there than Carson Wentz was. And I'm excited to see how this AFC turns out. But like, if you look at some of the quarterbacks, it'll be in, it's interesting to see how this draft will go in regards to quarterbacks. Because again, quarterback is the most important position in sports. If you have a quarterback, especially one on a rookie contract, the rest of your roster can kind of sort itself out. And you look at teams, like if you look at the main teams on the quarterbacks, if we're just going to, what do you want to call it, to try and think of what teams, like teams that could draft one in the first one. The Lions, they have two first-round picks. The Panthers, the Falcons, the Seahawks, uh, the Saints, the Eagles could. I don't think they will, but they could. The Steelers. Uh, the Titans are linked with one. The Bucks could draft one. So there's what? Eight teams? I didn't count on my fingers. I should have counted. I lost track. <coughs> there's like eight teams that could draft a quarterback this year in the first round. Will all eight teams draft a quarterback in the first round? Hell no. There's not eight quarterbacks worthy of her. To me, there is four quarterbacks that are worthy for a first round draft pick. That's Pickett, Willis, Corral, and Ritter. Those are the four. Howell, I think, could sneak in if the other four are already gone and a team like the Lions are sitting there at 32 could draft a quarterback because you have the fifth-year option with a quarterback. That's the only logical thing I see with Sam Howell possibly slipping into the first round. And then after that, if Sam Howell goes in the first round, we probably won't see a quarterback taken in the second round. We'll probably have to wait till round three. But, like... Teams that I'm fairly confident will draft a quarterback in the first round, we got the Panthers and Steelers. Those are the two most confident teams I have in drafting the quarterback. Steelers will have to trade up, because with the Saints having two first-round picks now, <coughs> it looks like they're drafting one. So, yeah, I don't know what this situation... Like, it's, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get very, very crazy. And one thing that I thought about doing is looking at each position group in the NFL draft and giving you an over-under for what I think... The, court, the, the positions could get. So this is just what my gut is telling me right now, and I'll give you like a number, like two, like quarterbacks, just an example. Over-under set at two. Do you think there'll be more than one quarter, two quarterbacks taken? Do you think it'll be two, or do you think it'll be less? Okay? If you don't understand how betting works, I'm not putting odds on this thing. I just, I, I made this about however long the show started to go. That's right before the show started. So it's like, this could be something we talk about, that could be fairly easy to talk about, and it could be interactive. Not saying you can call in or do whatever you want, but you can play along if you want. Like, the over-under set of two quarterbacks. I think there'll be over two quarterbacks. 
I think it'll probably be three. I from what I have heard or heard, what I've read, it sounds like Desmond Ritter is going in the first round. I already fairly kind of about ninety percent sure Pickett and Willis are going in the first round. Both of them probably in the top fifteen picks, and Ritter is going to either Pittsburgh or New Orleans probably. I think Willis is either going to Pittsburgh or Detroit. I think um, Pickett's going to the Panthers. I'm pretty confident about that one. There's just too many connections there not to. And then Ritter to the Steelers or Saints, just because Steelers need a quarterback, bigger body quarterback, can take the hits, play in the cold weather, play at Cincinnati. So very mature quarterback, had a lot put on his plate. And one thing I heard today, or a couple days ago, was when you look at Cincinnati's success, over the last four years of Ritter's career at Cincinnati, Desmond Ritter, as Cincinnati got better, or as he got better, Cincinnati got better. It was a direct correlation. When Ritter was at his peak, Cincinnati was at their peak. They went to the sure, uh, what bowl game was that? The college well playoff. They went to the playoff, and Ritter was at his best. You look at all the years at Cincinnati. Every time Luke Fickle put more on Ritter's plate, Ritter got better. And that's what a lot of people are really liking about Desmond Ritter. The years he played at Cincinnati. Four-year starter at Cincinnati. Four years. And I saw this from on Instagram. It was on NFL Mock Draft, or Mock Draft underscore NFL from Todd McShay. A small amount of teams have Desmond Ritter as either QB1 or 2 in this draft class. There are more teams that have him at QB3 and have him as QB3 over old Mrs. Matt Corral. Like, I think he'll go in the first round. I'm fairly confident to say I think Corral could slip in. I think they'll be over two quarterbacks. Running backs... One, I think there's only one that can go, and I think it's Brees Hall. And I'm getting less and I had Brees Hall going to Buffalo in my last mock draft, and I think in regards to fit, I think it makes the most sense. When you talk about, look at what the Bills said this offseason in regards to their team. The Bills want to protect Josh Allen. The Bills want Josh Allen to stop running more. Wanting to stop running as much. Uh, Brees Hall would do both those things. Brees Hall is a capable pass blocker. Brees Hall is a capable pass catcher. We already know what he can do in the run game. He can break tackles. He's six foot one, 220 pounds. When you get deep into the playoffs, you have to have a rushing attack. The Bills have no semblance of a rushing attack. None at all. Probably the worst rushing attack in the NFL because outside of Josh Allen, there's nothing really threatening about the Bills' offense. The Bills' rushing attack was so bad, they started setting up the pass to run the set up the run to pass. Usually, you set the pass by running. The Bills were setting up the run by passing. That's how bad it got. Now, it made the offense a whole hell of a lot better once they did that. But, man, I don't know. (coughs) This running back class is really deep. That's what I like about this class. It's a very, very deep running back class. Underratedly deep running back class. So, like, you could get a good running back in round four and be content with that. So, I'm going to go with under right now, but I'm pushing even. So, it it could be a push. Uh, Wide receiver, six. So just for your information, the six wide receivers, I think, in the last month draft, so we had six. Okay, Wilson, London, Williams, Olave, Burks, and Christian Watson from North Coast State. I think there'll be more. I'm going to push over because I think Jahan Dotson will go in the first round, and I'm starting to hear, or hear see things of Sky Moore from Western Michigan slipping into the first round. So that's a possibility. I'm not saying it's nailed on the happen of eight wide receivers in the first round. Eight. In these past few draft class, we are getting the best wide receiver prospects in NFL history. These past few drafts, in regards to depth of the prospect list. We've never had drafts. There's like, you can get a starter in round four. Amon Ross St. Brown 
It was a fourth-round draft pick, which even at the time was seen as a steal because I thought that was steal. He was one of my favorite draft picks of last year. And he bought, He had a, a decent year for being a fourth-round draft pick. Gabe Davis for the Bills is supposed to go off this year, have around a 1,000-yard season. He was a late-round draft pick, a later-round draft pick. Like, there could be eight taken in the first round of this draft class. Like, I, I'm going to go with over. I'm going to go with the crazy over. Tight end, one, or po- probably 0.5. <laughs> it's like 0.5 for tight ends. Yeah, under. There's not going to be a tight end draft in this round. There's not. I like Trey McBride. He's the only one of, that's capable of going in the first round. He ain't going first round. I'd be shocked if he went first round. Uh, tackles four. So the tackles are Neil Aquanu, Charles Cross, and Trevor Penning. I'm going to go with the over. I think someone like Tyler Smith from Tulsa, someone like Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan, maybe someone like Daniel Falele from Minnesota slip into first the first-round topic. Maybe. I think you're looking at Tyler Smith and Bernard Raymond specifically if you're wanting a project tackle to build into something that could be awesome in the next level, those are your two options. Bernard Raymond's a former tight end. He played tight end two years ago. He was 245 pounds two years ago. Now he's a left tackle. I Athletically, him and Tyler Smith are two of the top guys in this draft next to Charles Cross. Tyler Smith, very raw in his technique. So if you can get those guys developed right, you have some stuff with really good tackles. So I'm going to go with over there. Interior linemen, I'm going to 2.5 because I see some things like people having like Kenyon Green slip out of the first round. I saw one from the Athletic that Tyler Lindebaum falling out of the first round, which is crazy to think about, but it could happen realistically. So I had 2.5. I'm going to go over. I think the three, I think it'll be Green, Johnson, and Linderbaum. I think Johnson's a lock to go in the first round. Zion Johnson from Boston College. The other two, from what I've read recently, they could slip out of the first round. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right. But they could slip out of the first round. Could. Heward could. I'm not saying they will or should. Could. Uh, D. Lyman, two. I'm going to go with even. I had Travis Jones from UConn going in the first round. But in the recent mantras, you have to basically, there's 32 picks. If you insert a player that you didn't have before, like, say, Desmond Reader, you're going to have to take out somebody. And a player is going to fall naturally because of that. So good players will fall if a quarterback's taken earlier. Someone like Devontae Wyatt could fall because there's also some concerns around his character. So I'm going to go with even for two. I do think Travis Jones has a shot going in the first round. I think out of the all other D tackles in this draft class outside of Davis and Wyatt, Jones has the best odds to go in the first round. Out of the rest. So you got like Logan Hall, DeMarvin Leal, Perrion Winfrey. I think those are your main guys. Fidarian Mathis could also be mentioned up there. But I think those are your main guys. But I'm going to stick with two. I'm going to stick with two. Edge rushers, five. I'm going to go with over. I have a... Over to push. Because this edge rushing class is deep. It's the deepest class in this this draft. Easily. The deepest class in this draft. The edge rushers. Edge rushers and wide receivers. Deep, deep, deep. So like the top five guys... In no particular order. Hutchinson, Walker, Thibodeau, uh, Jermaine Johnson, and George Karlaftis. David Ojabo was a first-rounder until he tore his Achilles. A guaranteed top, almost guaranteed top 10 pick before he tore his Achilles. Uh, Boye Mafi from Minnesota is another one up there. Uh, Arnold Ebichetti from Penn State is another one that could be mentioned up there. Uh, Nick Benito, I think, could be someone that gets talked about. I'm not saying he will or should, but he still get talked about. But I think those other, the guys that you're looking at Outside of the top five we mentioned are Mafi and Ebiketti from Penn State. I think Penn State edge rushers are starting to get a little more uh, 
love, I guess you could say, because they're athletic builds. Like, uh, Adafi Owe last year had zero sacks, which we said not to worry about because if you look at what he does athletically, this dude will develop. Like, Daniel Hunter, I think in his last year at LSU, had two sacks. Like, Daniel Hunter was not coming to the NFL at the back of a 20-plus sack season or a 14-plus sack season like Hutchinson is. No, it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes it doesn't work out like that. But Ebiketti, I think, could slip up there. Moffy could. So I'm struggling with six. Again, it depends on where the quarterbacks go. The Eagles are one of the teams that was looking at an edge rusher, but now you're looking at the Eagles who needed a corner, edge rusher, linebacker, and wide receiver, possibly looking at a quarterback, not saying they should, but they're getting linked with one. That's five position. You have two first-round draft picks now. You eliminated one, you traded the Saints. So one of these positions, D-line as well. So you got like six positions you could look at for the Philadelphia Eagles with two picks. So naturally, players are going to fall. So you're going to see what needs they prioritize over most. Howie Roseman has has been someone that prioritizes the lines more than anything, but we'll have to see. We will have to see. Next position group, linebackers two. I, yeah, two. I don't think... I. Quay Walker could go in the first round from Georgia. I'm going to go with two. I think Devin Lloyd and uh, Nicobe Dean are locks to go first round. I think they're locks. Quiet Walker, I think, could go in the first round. <coughs> I'd be cool with it, but uh, I think Dean and Lloyd are really the only two that you're seriously considering for first round. Corners three, this one's tough. This one is very, very tough. Gardner, Stingley, and McDuffie are all locks. I don't think anybody's really going to dispute that at this point. But people like Andrew Booth, Kyrie Elam, Roger McCreary, Kyler Gordon, uh, who else do we got in there? Tarek Wollin could slip into that conversation. I'm not saying he should, but he could slip up into that conversation. All possibilities. So again, Booth, Elam, McCreary, Gordon, Wollin. That's five corners. <clears throat> so I think there's a very... Because you look at teams later in the first round. And you start off with the Patriots. Patriots lost J.C. Jackson, the Chargers. Then you go to the Cardinals. They don't have a lot of corners right now. The Bills need help at corner. The Bucks need help at corner. The Chiefs need help at corner. And the Bengals need help at corner. That's six teams in the final 10 picks of the first round, not including the Lions at 32. 10 teams, or six teams and 10 picks that could use a corner. And unless something crazy happens, Garner, McDuffie, and Stingley will all be gone by that point. So now you look at a team like the Patriots, like the Cardinals, like the Bills, like the Bucks, like the Packers, like the Bengals. What position are they going to prioritize if they don't go corner? You look at the Patriots. Wide receiver was an option. They just traded for Devontae Parker. Linebacker is still an option there as well. Line is still an option as well. They trade Shaq Mason to the Buccaneers. The Cardinals. Offensive line's an issue. Wide receivers, apart from DeAndre Hopkins, is an issue. Running back could also be an issue. D-line is an issue. Bills. Running back. Possibly more depth at wide receiver. Line, maybe linebacker. I don't know. Peter Schrager had a linebacker. Going, he had Quay Walker going to the Bills in the last mod draft. The Bucks, D-line, O-line. Need help at guard. Need help at D-line as well. Their D-line's aging. The Bengals, O-line. O-line, O-line, O-line. <laughs> Bengals, edge rushers, wide receivers. Uh, just, res- uh, what do you call it? Solidifying their D-line. Maybe safety. So like someone like Daxton Hill. So it's really weird to look at this and go, what positions are most important to these teams? So I could honestly see like five corners going in the first round. You talk about the three we mentioned before, and then someone like Booth and Gordon going in the first round. Or Booth and Elam. Like, Elam's got the length that people are looking for, but Gordon's the more polished, I guess you could say. Like, Washington, for how odd they were last year, their pass defense was the best in college football. 
McDuffie and Kyler Gordon were the two best corners in regards to duos in all of college football. They could both go in the first round. I'm going to stick with even right now. We're going to push it. Am I confident in saying that? No, but we're going to push three. And then safeties one, I'm going to go with over. I think Daxton Hill will slip in the first round. I think Daxton Hill will go first round. I like Daxton Hill a lot because I think Daxton Hill, if we're just talking about natural center fielders, natural free safeties, Daxton Hill is that guy. Daxton Hill can also play some nickel corner. Daxton Hill can play some outside corner if necessary. So I think that's all. We already know Kyle Hamilton's going top 11. He ain't slipping past Washington. I think he'll slip out of the top 10, but he ain't slipping past Washington. Hill, on the other hand, I think it go as high as Buffalo. Jordan Poyer's getting older and looking for a contract extension, and they could use some help at corner if he wants to play corner. The Chiefs don't have Daniel Sorensen or Tyron Matthew anymore, or the Lions, who could just use help all over the defense. So I think Hill is more likely than some of the corners. I think if we're talking about, if we're comparing a specific product, Booth and Daxton Hill. I like Daxton Hill more. A little bit more. I'm not saying like he's miles better than Andrew Booth. I think if you're talking about potential, Andrew Booth athletically is probably got a higher ceiling than Daxton Hill. And teams, generally speaking, value cornerbacks more than safeties. As you'll see, Ahmad Gardner will go before Kyle Hamilton in the draft. That's just what it seems like right now. I could be wrong. We're sitting here on April 10th. That could be changed the next week. It could be totally different. But that's what it's looking like right now. Corners are generally valued higher than safety. Lockdown corner helps your defense out immensely immensely. Now, it's not on the same level as quarterback, tackle, and edge rusher. Those are the three most, when you look at drafts, those are the three most important positions. When you're building a team, you've got to get a quarterback, you've got to get a tackle, and you've got to get an edge rusher. Those are your three big keys to building a successful team. Most of the time, I know there's, again, there's odd examples. The Bills don't have a great edge rusher right now, but they're trying. They drafted two edge rushers back-to-back rounds last year. Didn't like that they drafted Boogie Basham or Creed Humphrey in hindsight, but you know what? That's whatever. Yeah, but those are my odds for the 2022 NFL Draft. So again, quarterbacks over two, running backs under one, wide receivers over six. We're going to go crazy on that one. Tight ends under .5, tackles over four, interior linemen over 2.5, D-line and edge rushers push, linebackers push, corners push, and safeties over. And we'll have a mock draft, hopefully, hopefully speaking, we'll have a mock draft on Friday. I'm not saying it's like nailed on to happen, but I would like to try and get it out on Friday because again, the draft is coming up on April 28th. There'll be two weeks, uh, well, a week and a week and six days until the next until the NFL draft comes around on April 28th. So I want to try. I might not be successful, but I, good lord, I want to try. Okay, again, I could be wrong, but I want to try. And while we're talking about the draft again, still sticking with the draft. This is basically just a draft heavy show. Which again is bound to happen because the draft is coming up. So we gotta we gotta talk about it. We've gotta talk about it. So I wanna do my top five prospects at each position. Now I'm not gonna reveal the entire list. I'm still working on it to a certain extent. I'm gonna try and get this out on Wednesday. So we'll go over the full list on Wednesday, but just a little snippet for you for today's show. Uh prospect rankings, top five quarterbacks, uh Pickett, Willis, Corral, Ritter, and Howell. I think Willis and Pickett are the two locks for the first round. If you're talking about what you got right now, pick it's your guy. If you want someone you can build into the next great quarterback where you think it could be the next great quarterback, you get Willis. Ritter and Corral, I think if you're talking about leaders, those are probably the two best guys 
out of the top five in this draft. Natural leaders, Corral and Ritter. I think the thing that helps Ritter is that he doesn't battle any injuries. He's bigger than Corral as well. More athletic than Corral. But Corral played really well against the toughest conference in college football. And the other thing with Ritter is that he has a lot more, a lot less inconsistencies with his game. The other thing that helps Ritter out a little bit is the fact that he went through all the workouts and interviews this offseason. Corral hasn't worked out yet. He had a pro day. He hadn't worked out. He didn't do the combine, didn't do any of that, didn't do the senior bowl. That's where Ritter and Howell and all these other guys have the upper leg on him. You look at the top seven quarterbacks in this draft. All of them, apart from one, were at the Senior Bowl. And I know Corral wasn't a senior, but Justin Herbert wasn't a senior when he played the Senior Bowl. Josh Allen wasn't a senior. Like, you don't necessarily, it's like a, you would like you to be a senior, but if you're a top prospect, we're going to send you the Senior Bowl. So, Corral, he was also hurt, so that didn't help anything. It's not like he denied the option, but yeah, those are the quarterbacks. Running backs, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, Isaiah Spiller, James Cook, and I've contemplated this one for a little bit now, and I've talked about how much I like this guy, but I... Th- what do I want to do? What do I want to do? I'm stuck between Kyron Williams and Rashad White from Arizona State. I think both of them are similar, but I think Rashad White falls in that category of like Brees Hall and Najee Harris, where he's a bigger back that can catch the ball in the backfield. Kyron Williams is a smaller guy. He's about 5'9". Just under 200, he might be 199. I think that's what ESPN lists him at. And I think as a pass blocker, he's probably one of the better running backs in this draft class. But he hadn't tested very well. He has not tested very well. So that's kind of things that hurt him. James Cook is in that same mold of Josh Jacobs when he got drafted out of Alabama a few years ago, where he doesn't have a lot of tread on the he has a lot of tread on the tires. You can see what he could become. You can see that he can do multiple things in the pass game, multiple things in the run game. And I think that's what a lot of people like about him. They like his rawness and his brothers in the NFL. So they know what his brother is. And if James Cook could be anything like that, they'll take it. Isaiah Spiller, nothing insane in regards to speed, but he's a very consistent running back. Him and Brees Hall are very consistent backs. I think Brees Hall is the most well-rounded back in this draft class. Kenneth Walker, if we're talking about importance to the team, I don't think anybody in college football is more important to their team than Kenneth Walker was. Because you saw what happened against Ohio State. If you are getting in a game against Ohio State without a pass game, which is what Michigan State did not have, and they take away the run game, um... You're screwed. And Michigan State got ass-blasted by Ohio State last year. Ass-blasted. If Kenneth Walker was not going, Michigan State wasn't going either. So that was a little bit of an issue for him. And I think the other thing that kind of, I don't want to say hurts. It doesn't hurt Kenneth Walker. But he only had one year of production. Like a massive jump. When he was at Wake Forest, I think his last year was about 500-something yards. And then last year at 1,800 rushing yards. Like the 1,300-yard jump in one year is ridiculous to think about. But I think Kenneth Walker is a very fun running back to watch. You just watched my Michigan State last year. Most important player in all of college football, I'd argue. So, yeah, Rashad White and Kyron Williams are very close to each other, but there's a lot of good running back. Again, you can get a running back late in this round, late in this draft and get a really good one. Wide receivers, uh, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Traylon Burks. Uh, there's, some, there's some good wide receivers in this class. I mean, that's, that's just as usual right now. But with with Wilson, he's just a dog. I love his mentality. I think that's my favorite thing about him. He's not the biggest guy. He's faster than what people were expecting him to be at the combine in his workouts. He can make every single catch. He's got that similar style to that of Justin Jefferson where he can play in the slot or the outside. I like that in him. Drake London can play in the slot as well. Bigger guy, athletic freak, can make any catch anywhere. Like you saw some of the plays he made at USC last year. Keaton Slovis, if he didn't have Drake London last year, we would not even be having a semi-conversation about Keaton Slovis getting drafted next year, let alone him being drafted at all. 
because Drake London saved his ass on numerous occasions last year. Chris Olave, very complete wide receiver. He's the one that suffered the most out of the big three-headed monster at Ohio State in regards to statistical numbers. He had about 900-some receiving yards last year, but he's a touchdown machine. Best deep threat, best healthy deep threat in the draft. Best healthy deep threat in the draft because Jamison Williams is not healthy. If Jamison Williams is healthy, he's the number one receiver in this draft. The dude does everything. 6'2", 190 pounds, can run like that, can make plays on special teams, which is what coaches want. Players that are willing to do things that most other players aren't, especially a star player like Jamison Williams. And he's willing to do special teams work. That says a lot about him as a person in regards to what he's willing to do for his team, and I like that, but he's coming off a torn ACL, so he's going to drop to four. And then five, Traylon Burks, just a monster. 6'3", 235 pounds. Dude did everything for Arkansas, and I think the thing that helps him a lot as the the combine did not do as good as I was hoping he would do. But the thing that helps him more than some of these other receivers in this draft is that he came from a run-first offense. You look at some of the receivers that came from run-first offenses, you're already established a really good mentality of we're going to run block. Like Arkansas with KJ, KJ Jefferson at quarterback, they're a run-first team. KJ Jefferson's got a strong arm, ain't very accurate. And they would use Burks in all different types of sets. They'd run him, they'd promotion him, they'd do all these different things, run block with him. Everything he needed, Burks would do it. And that's why I really, really like Traylon Burks. But workouts weren't great. I don't think he'll go that <laughs> – I don't think he'll go as early as what I was originally predicting, but there's some good wide receivers in this class. The top 10 is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, tight ends, uh, Trey McBride, most complete tight end in this draft. Uh, George Kittle, pretty much the best comparison you can have to him. Isaiah Likely is very athletic from Coastal Carolina. Best receiving tight end in this draft, arguably at least out of the top five. So you could argue Cole Turner from Nevada is up there as well. But Isaiah Likely, if you're talking about potential, probably has the highest ceiling out of these guys. <laughs> Number three, Jalen Weidermeyer. If you're building a tight end, you're building someone like Jalen Weidermeyer. He can work in the slot, he can block, and he can pass catch. But I just think players like I Likely, who's got a higher ceiling, and McBride, who's more complete than him, I think caused him to slip a little bit. Before the season started, he was the number one guy. Now he's number three. Uh, number four, Greg Dolchich from UCLA. Uh, very nice tight end. Very nice tight end. <laughs> All these tight ends, the thing is, all these tight ends are barely complete tight ends. I think Charlie Kohler is at number five, is not as well-rounded as a blocker because you saw some things like against D'Angelo Malone at the Senior Bowl got blown up. He got blown up against uh, Oklahoma at the Big 12 Championship game a few years ago. But yeah, as a receiving tight end, very good receiving tight end. But there's some good, there's a lot of really good tight ends in this draft. Those are the top five tight ends. Tackles. It's the same four plus Tyler Smith. So, Aquanu, Neal, Cross, Penning, and Smith. We've talked about Smith before. Athletic freak at the tackle position. He's just very raw. I think once you get him in a system where you can mold him into something, I think you'll have a very good tackle. And the thing I also like about him, he can play guard as well. Same with Aquanu, same with Penning, same with Neal. Like, all these guys are versatile from these top five guys. Penning's a mean SOB. Same with Aquanu. He's my number one guy. Neal, if you're looking at... For if you look for a tackle, you're looking for someone that's built like Evan Neal. 6'7", 340, 335 pounds. That's what you're looking for in a tackle. And Cross, polarizing prospect just because if we're talking about just pure pass blocking, he's the by, by far the best, but we don't know what he is as a run blocker. Athletically speaking, he should be able to develop into a nice run blocker because of what he can do on a football field. We just haven't seen it. Old Mississippi State was the worst run team in, the college, in all of college football last year. But in regards to passing, he's the best easily pass blocker in this draft class. I think you're talking about most complete blockers, Aquanu and Penning, I think are your top two guys in regards to complete blocking expertise. I think Penning and Aquanu just got that mean streak that will make them very, very desirable in the draft. 
Interior linemen, uh, Tyler Lindebaum, number one, then Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green, Darian Kennard, and Jeremy Seiler from Georgia. Jeremy Seiler, guard-tackle hybrid, probably going to transition to guard. Played guard mostly towards the latter stage of the last season. Just a mean guy. I mean, you're working with Georgia's D-line every single day with Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker. You're working with those guys every day. You're going to develop a little bit of a mean streak. He'll be a nice day two pick. I don't know where he'll go. Probably early round three, maybe? If I had to take a punt at it right now, but he'll probably go there. Darian Kennard, guard tackle hybrid, played mostly left tackle at Kentucky. He was supposed to play guard. I, if I remember correctly, he was supposed to play guard. And then injuries allowed him to move back to tackle. I don't remember what it was exactly, but he's built like a freaking guard. He's like 6'4", 335, 340 pounds. Like, built like a guard. And he was talking about possibly first rounder, but he's probably going to go round two. Uh, Kenyon Green, guard tackle hybrid, has played every single position on the O-line. Zion Johnson, just love his story. Came from a zero-star recruit out of high school to play at Davidson. Went to Boston College, dominated there. I know we've already talked about Linderbaum in regards to what he can do in the run game, what he can do in the pass game. Never gets beat off the ball. Super athletic, super quick twitch, just a matter of his size and everything. Interior D lineman, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Travis Jones, Logan Hall, and Perrion Winfrey. Logan Hall is smaller. I think he's about 270 pounds. Probably play a nice three-tech or play in a 3-4 defensive front, but he might also be slotted in as an edge rusher, just depending on how you view him. But he's not very big. He's like 6'5", probably 270, 275, if I had to guess. Perrion Winfrey was the defensive MVP at the Senior Bowl. He had a very good season for Oklahoma last year. Not like, I guess I shouldn't say very good. He had a good season. He blew up Brock Purdy against Iowa State. Probably should have gotten ejected. But, uh, yeah, dominated the Senior Bowl, so he'll move, he's moved up. Uh, Travis Jones, possible first-round draft pick. Just monster. For a bad UConn team that won four games in his entire career there, this is very exciting to see him possibly go to the first round. And then what hasn't been said about Wyatt Davis and Jordan Davis? Wyatt, De- Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis at this point. Athletically, Jordan Davis is a monster. He's been my number one D tackle forever. Wyatt, Devontae Wyatt is monster move, whatever. The, that was the best, one of the greatest ever defensive interior D-line duos in college football history, those two. I don't need to talk about that. We talked about them enough on the show. Edge rushers, uh, Hutchinson, Walker Thibodeau, 2A, 2B, and then Johnson and Karlaftis from Purdue. Purdue or Karlaftis is an interesting one because if we're talking about just what he does athletically, he's not as athletic as any of the other four we mentioned before. I mean, some of the people, but most of the people behind him. The thing that separates him from most of them is that he's super powerful. He is the most powerful edge rusher in this draft class. Him and Hutchinson <coughs> are on that level in regards to power. I put Jermaine Johnson somewhat up there as well because Jermaine Johnson's very good in the run game. If you're talking about most complete, next to Hutchinson in regards to what he can do in the pass game and the run game, that's Johnson. Johnson's probably the best run stop of the top five the best run stopper in this draft class just because of how athletic he is. He can work on the outside, get around the edges, and get to the running backs in the backfield. Power-wise, Karlaftis is up there. Thibodeau and Walker. Uh, Thibodeau, again, the character concerns. Some of the work ethic concerns. Not, maybe not character concerns, but work ethic concerns. But he's been the number one player in the draft for years now, ever since he committed to Georgia or Oregon out of high school. Dude's just been a dominant freak at Georgia. Or, gee, I did it again. Oregon. There's times where he just dominates people, absolutely dominates people. But there's other plays he takes things off. Trayvon Walker did not have the production, but this is a similar thing we were talking about Adafi Owe earlier. Zero sacks, Walker had four, which is half as much as Thibodeau, but Walker also worked inside. Thibodeau is naturally an outside linebacker to 4-3 D end. Walker transitioned from a D lineman at 290 pounds to 275, 4-3 D end. 
Like, the amount of speed he has for how big he is makes people really excited. And then Hutchinson, Hutchinson came second in the Heisman Trophy race. Hutchinson's power is just insane. You, he bullies off to tackles with just without reckless with reckless abandon. Just does not care for their well beings. And he'll get to the quarterback. He moves all these different power moves that are just deadly. Deadly, deadly, deadly. And I'm sorry if I'm rushing through this. I want to make it a some, somewhat shorter show. I don't want to go too much over an hour. I want to, I got some, it's a nice day out. I want to try and get some things in for the rest of the day. It's late, getting late now. Uh, linebackers, uh, Devin Lloyd, N'Kobe Dean, Christian Harris, Quay Walker, and Channing Tindall. thing I like about Tindall is that he'll, like Jamison Williams before, he'll do the plays in the special teams. I think Christian Walker is a very athletic linebacker that has kind of, Slipped a little bit. I don't know why. Him and Walker have kind of flip-flopped spots in that regard. But Dean, elite pass blocker, elite leader. Lloyd can do everything. 6'3", probably 225, 230, 35 pounds. Moves everywhere. Can play outside linebacker, can play inside linebacker, can play edge rusher. Lloyd is, to me, clear as the best linebacker in this draft class. But I can kind of understand arguments for Dean just because of the leadership aspect, but the size is a little bit different. I'm not saying that's everything, because Derek Brooks was not very big, and he was one of the greatest linebackers of all time. Devin White is not a very big linebacker. Darius Leonard is not a very big linebacker. So I'm not saying that's the overarching theme here, but I think Lloyd can just do everything. That's what I really like about Devin Lloyd, just that he can do everything from the linebacker spot. Corners, uh, Mod Gardner, Derek Stingley, Trent McDuffie, Andrew Booth, and Kyler Gordon. Trent, Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon are just athletic freaks. I think I think Gordon does... Um, Taekwondo or something. It's Taekwondo or karate. I don't remember exactly what it is. It's something like that. But he didn't test as like amazingly as what everybody was thinking. Everybody thought he'd blow up the combine. Oh, I wouldn't say he blew up the combine. He still didn't. He didn't do anything bad, but he didn't blow up the combine. Booth came in the same class as Stingley. Very athletic, and people think they can build him into something. Like there, the last two games of the regular season last year is where he really flashed. A little bit. The regular season, not the bowl game against Iowa State. He got hurt against Iowa State. But Booth is a very fun corner to watch. McDuffie again. Smaller corner, about 5'11", 190. But hey, size don't really matter. I mean, look at Jair Alexander. Not a very big corner. Dominates. And Derek Stingley, just a matter of can't stay healthy. He hasn't had a full season since (laughs) since his freshman year in 2019. That's a big concern. Can he stay healthy? Can he apply himself? He hasn't even played that many games. Since that season. So that's the big question mark around him and Gardner, 6'3", 200 pounds. Never gets beat deep, never gets beat over top. There's nothing really to say about Demond Gardner. He might be a top five pick in this draft when it's all said and done to the Jets. I think that's the highest he'll go in this draft. Might go. I've seen some of the Texans, but I think he'll go. If he goes in the top five, he'll go to the Jets. Because they want to jump, they want to make sure he goes to them and not the Giants. And then safeties, Kyle Hamilton, Daxon Hill, Lewis Seen, Jaquan Brisker, and Jalen Petrie. Seen's a heat-seeking missile. Seen is just a heat-seeking missile. Daxton Hill, we've already talked about as regards to best free safety, best center fielder in the entire draft, and Hamilton can just do everything. He can just do absolutely everything. That's just what Kyle Hamilton is. So, uh, yeah. I think that's all we got for you today. I did watch some baseball today. It was kind of upsetting because, uh, you know, Cubs lost. They started off the season 2-0 and then lost the Brewers today. But they played well. They played well. They played well. So, hopefully... They keep that going against the Pirates. See how their lineup changes over since they're playing Jose Quintana, you know. Watch Eli Jimenez play really well, and then see Quintana now play for the Pirates is awesome. Super fun to see. But yeah, I've enjoyed watching Cubs baseball, and uh, hope you enjoyed this show as much as I've enjoyed watching Cubs baseball this year. If you haven't, I apologize, but make sure, again, you're following the Logan Blattman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. 
YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The Twitter account is Logan underscore Blackman. The Instagram account is Logan Black, the Logan Blackman Show 1 or Blackman Logan. YouTube and Facebook to search Logan Blackman Show. They should pop up. Give the Facebook page a like. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Watch a few videos. Give them a thumbs up. I'd greatly appreciate it. And of course, you're listening to it right now. Make sure you're following and or subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a rating out of five stars on both for what you thought about today's episode, the show in general, or whatever. Just let me know. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. We'll get back to you sometime soon, and I will see you next time. Peace.